Part two of First Successful Ascent of Mount Rainier, eighteen seventy, by Hazard Stevens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. Starting at daylight next morning, we walked two miles over rough ground, much broken by ravines, and then descended into the bed of the Nisqually at the mouth of Goat Creek another fine stream which empties here we continued our course along the river bed stumbling over rocky bars and forcing our way through dense thickets of willow for some distance then ascended the steep bank went around a high hill over four miles of execrable trail and descended to the river again only two miles above goat creek at this point the tacoma branch or north fork joins the nisqually this stream rises on the west side of tacoma is nearly as large as the main river and like it shows its glacial origin by its milk-white water and by its icy cold terribly swift and furious torrent crossing the tacoma branch here thirty yards wide we kept up the main river crossing and recrossing the stream frequently and toiling over rocky bars for four miles a distance which consumed five hours owing to the difficulties of the way we then left the nisqually turning to the right and travelling in a southerly course and followed up the bed of a swampy creek for half a mile then crossed a level tract much obstructed with fallen timber then ascended a burnt ridge and followed it for two miles to a small marshy prairie in a wide canyon or defile closed in by rugged mountains on either side and camped beside a little rivulet on the east side of the prairie this was bear prairie the altitude of which by the barometer was two thousand six hundred thirty feet the canyon formed a low pass between the nisqually and cowlitz rivers and the little rivulet near which we camped flowed into the latter stream the whole region had been swept by fire thousands of giant trunks stood blackened and lifeless the picture of desolation as we were reclining on the ground around the campfire enjoying the calm and beatific repose which comes to the toil-worn mountaineer after his hearty supper one of these huge trunks after several warning creeks came toppling and falling directly over our camp all rushed to one side or another to avoid the impending crash as one member of the party hastily catching up in one hand a frying pan laden with tin plates and cups and in the other the camp kettle half full of boiling water was scrambling away his foot tripped in a blackberry vine and he fell outstretched at full length the much-prized utensils scattering far and wide while the falling tree came thundering down in the rear doing no more damage however than burying a pair of blankets the following day longmire and the writer went down the canyon to its junction with the cowlitz river in search of a band of indians who usually made their headquarters at this point and among whom longmire hoped to find some hunter familiar with the mountains 
who might guide us to the base of Tacoma. This tiny rivulet, as we descended, soon swelled to a large and furious torrent, and its bed filled nearly the whole bottom of the gorge. The mountains rose on both sides precipitously, and the traces of landslides which had gouged vast furrows down their sides were frequent. With extreme toil and difficulty, we made our way, continually wading the torrent, clambering over broken masses of rock which filled its bed, or clinging to the steep hillsides, and reached the cowlets at length after twelve miles of this fatiguing work, but only to find the Indian camp deserted. Further search, however, was rewarded by the discovery of a rude shelter formed of a few skins thrown over a framework of poles, beneath which sat a squaw at work upon a half-dressed deerskin. An infant and a naked child of perhaps four years lay on the ground near the fire in front. Beside the lodge, and quietly watching our approach, of which he alone seemed aware, stood a tall, slender Indian, clad in buckskin shirt and leggings, with a striped woolen breech-clout, and a singular head garniture, which gave him a fierce and martial appearance. This consisted of an old military cap, the visor thickly studded with brass-headed nails, while a large circular brass article, which might have been the top of an oil lamp, was fastened upon the crown. Several eagle feathers stuck in the crown, and strips of fur sewed upon the sides completed the edifice, which, notwithstanding its components, appeared imposing rather than ridiculous. A long Hudson Bay gun, the stock also ornamented with brass-headed tacks, lay in the hollow of the Indian's shoulder. He received us with great friendliness, yet not without dignity, shaking hands and motioning us to a seat beneath the rude shelter, while his squaw hastened to place before us suspicious-looking cakes of dried berries, apparently their only food. After a moderate indulgence in this delicacy, Longmire made known our wants. The Indian spoke fluently the Chinook jargon, that high-bred lingo invented by the old fur traders. He called himself Sluskin, and readily agreed to guide us to Rainier, known to him only as Tacoma, and promised to report at Bear Prairie the next day. It was after seven in the evening when we reached camp, thoroughly fagged. Punctual to promise, Sluskin rode up at noon, mounted upon a stunted Indian pony, while his squaw and papooses followed upon another, even more puny and forlorn. After devouring an enormous dinner, evidently compensating for the rigors of a long fast, in reply to our inquiries, he described the route he proposed to take us to Tacoma. Pointing to the almost perpendicular height immediately back or east of our camp, towering 3,000 feet or more overhead, the loftiest mountain in sight, we go to the top of that mountain today, said he, and to-morrow we follow along the high backbone ridge of the mountains, now up, now down, first on one side and then on the other, a long day's journey, and at last, descending far down from the mountains into a deep valley, 
reached the base of Tacoma. Sluiskin illustrated his Chinook with speaking signs and pantomime. He had frequently hunted the mountain sheep upon the snowfields of Tacoma, but had never ascended to the summit. It was impossible to do so, and he put aside as idle talk our expressed intention of making the ascent. We had already selected the indispensable articles for a week's tramp, a blanket apiece, the smallest coffee pot and frying pan, a scanty supply of bacon, flour, coffee, etc., and had made them into suitable packs of forty pounds each, provided with slings like a knapsack, and had piled together, under the lee of a huge fallen trunk, our remaining goods. Longmire, who, although impatient to return home, where his presence was urgently needed, had watched and directed our preparations during the forenoon with kindly solicitude, now bade us good-bye, mounted on one mule and leading the other, he soon disappeared down the trail on his lonely homeward way. He left us the little pack-horse, thinking it would be quite capable of carrying our diminished outfit after our return from Tacoma. Sluiskin led the way. The load upon his shoulders was sustained by a broad band passing over his head, upon which his heavy brass-studded rifle, clasped in both hands, was poised and balanced. Leaving behind the last vestige of trail, we toiled in single file, slowly and laboriously up the mountain all the afternoon. The steepness of the ascent in many places required the use of both hand and foot in climbing, and the exercise of great caution to keep the heavy packs from dragging us over backwards. Coleman lagged behind from the start, and at intervals his voice could be heard hallooing and calling upon us to wait. Toward sunset we reached a level terrace or bench near the summit, gladly threw off our packs and waited for Coleman, who we supposed could not be far below. He not appearing, we hallooed again and again. No answer. We then sent Sluiskin down the mountain to his aid. After an hour's absence the Indian returned. He had descended, he said, a long distance, and at last caught sight of Coleman. He was near the foot of the mountain, had thrown away his pack, blankets, and all, and was evidently returning to camp. And Sluiskin finished his account with expressions of contempt for the cultus King George man. What was to be done? Coleman carried in his pack all our bacon, our only supply of meat, except a few pounds of dried beef. He also had the barometer, the only instrument that had survived the jolts and tumbles of our rough trip. But, on the other hand, he had been a clog upon our march from the outset. He was evidently too infirm to endure the toil before us, and would not only be unable to reach, still less ascend, Tacoma, but might even impede and frustrate our own efforts. Knowing that he would be safe in camp until our return, we hastily concluded to proceed without him, trusting to our rifles for a supply of meat. Sluiskin led us along the side of the ridge in a southerly direction for two miles further, 
to a well-sheltered grassy hollow in the mountain top where he had often previously encamped it was after dark when we reached this place the usual spring had gone dry and parched with thirst we searched the gulches of the mountainside for water an hour but without success at length the writer recalling a scanty rill which trickled across their path a mile back taking the coffee-pot and large canteen retraced his steps succeeded in filling these utensils after much fumbling in the dark and consequent delay and returned to camp he found van trump and the indian anxious at the long delay mounted on the crest of the ridge some two hundred yards from camp waving torches and shouting lustily to direct his steps the mosquitoes and flies came in clouds and were terribly annoying after supper of coffee and bread we drank up the water rolled ourselves in our blankets and lay down under a tree with our flags floating from under the boughs overhead hot as had been the day the night was cold and frosty owing doubtless to the altitude of our camp at the earliest dawn next morning we were moving on without breakfast and parched with thirst sluiskin led us in a general course about north northeast but twisting to nearly every point of the compass and climbing up and down thousands of feet from mountain to mountain yet keeping on the highest backbone between the headwaters of the nisqually and cowlitz rivers after several hours of this work we came to a well-sheltered hollow one side filled with a broad bed of snow at the foot of which nestled a tiny tranquil lakelet and gladly threw off our heavy packs assaged our thirst and took breakfast bread and coffee again early as it was the chill of the frosty night still in the air the mosquitoes renewed their attacks and proved as innumerable and vexatious as ever continuing our march we crossed many beds of snow and drank again and again from the icy rills which flowed out of them the mountains were covered with stunted mountain ash and low stubby firs with short bushy branches and occasionally a few pines many slopes were destitute of trees but covered with luxurious grass and the greatest profusion of beautiful flowers of vivid hues this was especially the case with the southern slopes while the northern sides of the mountains were generally wooded we repeatedly ate berries and an hour afterwards ascended to where berries of the same kind were found scarcely yet formed the country was much obscured with smoke from heavy fires which had been raging on the cowlitz the last two days but when at length after climbing for hours an almost perpendicular peak creeping on hands and knees over loose rocks and clinging to scanty tufts of grass where a single slip would have sent us rolling a thousand feet down to destruction we reached the highest crest and looked over we exclaimed that we were already well repaid for all our toil nothing can convey an idea of the grandeur and ruggedness of the mountains directly in front and apparently not over two miles distant although really twenty 
old tacoma loomed up more gigantic than ever we were far above the level of the lower snow line on tacoma the high peak upon which we clung seemed the central core or focus of all the mountains around and on every side we looked down vertically thousands of feet deep down into the vast terrible defiles black and fur clothed which stretched away until lost in the distance and smoke between them separating one from another the mountain walls rose precipitously and terminated in bare columnar peaks of black basaltic or volcanic rock as sharp as needles it seemed incredible that any human foot could have followed out the course we came as we looked back upon it after a few hours more of this climbing we stood upon the summit of the last mountain ridge that separated us from tacoma we were in a saddle of the ridge a lofty peak rose on either side below us extended a long steep hollow or gulch filled with snow the further extremity of which seemed to drop off perpendicularly into a deep valley or basin across this valley directly in front filling up the whole horizon and view with an indescribable aspect of magnitude and grandeur stood the old leviathan of mountains the broad snowy dome rose far among and above the clouds the sides fell off in vertical steeps and fearful black walls of rock for a third of its altitude lower down vast broad gently sloping snowfields surrounded the mountain and were broken here and there by ledges or masses of the dark basaltic rock protruding above them long green ridges projected from the snow-belt at intervals radiating from the mountain and extending many miles until lost in the distant forests deep valleys lay between these ridges each at its upper end formed the bed of a glacier which closed and filled it up with solid ice below the snow line bright green grass with countless flowers whose vivid scarlet blue and purple formed bodies of color in the distance clothed the whole region of ridges and valleys for a breadth of five miles the beautiful balsam firs about thirty feet in height and of a purple dark green color stood scattered over the landscape now singly now in groves and now in long lines as though planted in some well-kept park further down an unbroken fir forest surrounded the mountain and clad the lower portions of the ridges and valleys in every sheltered depression or hollow lay beds of snow with tiny brooks and rivulets flowing from them the glaciers terminated not gradually but abruptly with a wall of ice from one to five hundred feet high from beneath which yeasty torrents burst forth and rushed roaring and tumbling down the valleys the principal of these far away on our left front could be seen plunging over two considerable falls half hidden in the forest while the roar of waters was distinctly audible at length we cautiously descended the snow-bed and climbing at least fifteen hundred feet down a steep 
but ancient landslide by means of the bushes growing among the loose rocks reached the valley and encountered a beautiful peaceful limpid creek van trump could not resist the temptation of unpacking his bundle selecting one of his carefully preserved flies and trying the stream for trout but without a single rise after an hour's rest and a hearty repast we resumed our packs despite sluiskin's protests who seemed tired out by his arduous day's toil and pleaded hard against traveling further crossing the stream we walked through several grassy glades or meadows alternating with open woods we soon came to the foot of one of the long ridges already described and ascending it followed it for several miles through open woods until we emerged upon the enchanting emerald and flowery meads which clothe these upper regions halting upon a rising eminence in our course and looking back we beheld the ridge of mountains we had just descended stretching from east to west in a steep rocky wall a little to the left a beautiful lake evidently the source of the stream just crossed which we called clear creek and glimpses of which could be seen among the trees as it flowed away to the right down a rapidly descending valley along the foot of the lofty mountain wall beyond the lake again still further to the left the land also subsided quickly it was at once evident that the lake was upon a summit or divide between the waters of the nisqually and cowlitz rivers the ridge which we were ascending lay north and south and led directly to the mountain we camped as the twilight fell upon us in an aromatic grove of balsam firs a grouse the fruit of sluiskin's rifle broiled before the fire and impartially divided gave a relish to the dry bread and coffee after supper we reclined upon our blankets in front of the bright blazing fire well satisfied the indian when starting from bear prairie had evidently deemed our intention of ascending tacoma too absurd to deserve notice the turning back of mr coleman only deepened his contempt for our prowess but his views had undergone a change with the day's march the affair began to look serious to him and now in chinook interspersed with a few words of broken english and many signs and gesticulations he began a solemn exhortation and warning against our rash project tacoma he said was an enchanted mountain inhabited by an evil spirit who dwelt in a fiery lake on its summit no human being could ascend it or even attempt its ascent and survive at first indeed the way was easy the broad snow-fields over which he had so often hunted the mountain goat interposed no obstacle but above them the rash adventurer would be compelled to climb up steeps of loose rolling rocks which would turn beneath his feet and cast him headlong into the deep abyss below the upper snow slopes too were so steep that not even a goat far less a man could get over them and he would have to pass below lofty walls and precipices 
where avalanches of snow and vast masses of rocks were continually falling and these would inevitably bury the intruder beneath their ruins moreover a furious tempest continually swept the crown of the mountain and the luckless adventurer even if he wonderfully escaped the perils below would be torn from the mountain and whirled through the air by this fearful blast and the awful being upon the summit who would surely punish the sacrilegious attempt to invade his sanctuary who could hope to escape his vengeance many years ago he continued his grandfather a great chief and warrior and a mighty hunter had ascended part way up the mountain and had encountered some of these dangers but he fortunately turned back in time to escape destruction and no other indian had ever gone so far finding that his words did not produce the desired effect he assured us that if we persisted in attempting the ascent he would wait three days for our return and would then proceed to olympia and inform our friends of our death and he begged us to give him a paper a written note to take to them so that they might believe his story sluiskin's manner during this harangue was earnest in the extreme and he was undoubtedly sincere in his forebodings after we had retired to rest he kept up a most dismal chant or dirge until late in the night the dim white spectral mass towering so near the roar of the torrents below us and the occasional thunder of avalanches several of which fell during the night added to the weird effect of sluiskin's song the next morning we moved two miles further up the ridge and made camp in the last clump of trees quite within the limit of perpetual snow thence with snow spikes upon our feet and alpine staff in hand we went up the snowfields to reconnoitre the best line of ascent we spent four hours walking fast in reaching the foot of the steep abrupt part of the mountain after carefully scanning the southern approaches we decided to ascend on the morrow by a steep rocky ridge that seemed to lead up to the snowy crown our camp was pitched on a high knoll crowned by a grove of balsam firs near a turbulent glacial torrent about nine o'clock after we had lain down for the night the firs round our camp took fire and suddenly burst out in a vivid conflagration the night was dark and windy and the scene the vast dim outlines of tacoma the white snowfields the roaring torrent the crackling blaze of the burning trees was strikingly wild and picturesque in honor of our guide we named the cascade at our feet sluiskin's falls the stream we named glacier creek and the mass of ice whence it derives its source we styled the little nisqually glacier before daylight the next morning wednesday august seventeenth eighteen seventy we were up and had breakfasted and at six o'clock we started to ascend tacoma besides our alpine staffs and creepers 
we carried a long rope and ice-axe, a brass plate inscribed with our names, our flags, a large canteen, and some luncheon. We were also provided with gloves and green goggles for snow-blindness, but found no occasion to use the latter. Having suffered much from the heat of the sun since leaving Bear Prairie, and being satisfied from our late reconnaissance that we could reach the summit and return on the same day, we left behind our coats and blankets. In three hours of fast walking we reached the highest point of the preceding day's trip, and commenced the ascent by the steep rocky ridge already described as reaching up to the snowy dome. We found it to be a very narrow, steep, irregular backbone, being solid rock, while the sides were composed of loose, broken rocks and debris. Up this ridge, keeping upon the spine when possible, and sometimes forced to pick our way over the loose and broken rocks at the sides, around columnar masses which we could not directly climb over, we toiled for five hundred yards, ascending at an angle of nearly forty-five degrees. Here, the ridge connected by a narrow neck or saddle with a vast square rock whose huge and distinct outline can be clearly perceived from a distance of twenty-five miles this like the ridge is a conglomerate of basalt and trap in well-defined strata and is rapidly disintegrating and continually falling in showers and even masses of rocks and rubbish under the action of frost by night and melting snow by day it lies embedded in the side of the mountain with one side and end projected and overhanging deep terrible gorges and it is at the corner or junction of these two faces that the ridge joined it at a point about a thousand feet below its top on the southern face the strata were inclined at an angle of thirty degrees crossing by the saddle from the ridge despite a strong wind which swept across it we gained a narrow ledge formed by a stratum more solid than its fellows and creeping along it hugging close to the main rock on our right laboriously and cautiously continued the ascent the wind was blowing violently. We were now crawling along the face of the precipice, almost in mid-air. On the right, the rock towered far above us perpendicularly. On the left, it fell sheer off two thousand feet into a vast abyss. A great glacier filled its bed and stretched away for several miles, all seamed or wrinkled across with countless crevasses. We crept up and along a ledge, not of solid sure rock, but one obstructed with the loose stones and debris which were continually falling from above. And we trod on the upper edge of a steep slope of this rubbish, sending the stones at every step, rolling and bounding into the depth below. Several times during our progress, showers of rocks fell from the precipice above across our path and rolled into the abyss but fortunately none struck us four hundred yards of this progress brought us to where the rock 
joined the overhanging edge of the vast neve or snowfield that descended from the dome of the mountain and was from time to time as pressed forward and downward breaking off in immense masses which fell with a noise as of thunder into the great canyon on our left the junction of rock and ice afforded our only line of ascent it was an almost perpendicular gutter but here our ice axe came into play and by cutting steps in the ice and availing ourselves of every crevice or projecting point of the rock we slowly worked our way up two hundred yards higher falling stones were continually coming down both from the rock on our right and from the ice in front as it melted and relaxed its hold upon them mr van trump was hit by a small one and another struck his staff from his hands abandoning the rock then at the earliest practicable point we ascended directly up the ice cutting steps for a short distance until we reached ice so corrugated or drawn up in sharp pinnacles as to afford a foothold these folds or pinnacles were about two or three feet high and half as thick and stood close together it was like a very violent chop sea only the waves were sharper up this safe footing we climbed rapidly the side of the mountain becoming less and less steep and the ice waves smaller and more regular and after ascending about three hundred yards stood fairly upon the broad dome of mighty tacoma it rose before us like a broad gently swelling headland of dazzling white topped with black where the rocky summit projected above the neve ascending diagonally towards the left we continued our course the snow was hard and firm underfoot crisp and light for an inch or two but solidified into ice a foot or less beneath the surface the whole field was covered with the ice waves already described and intersected by a number of crevasses which we crossed at narrow places without difficulty about halfway up the slope we encountered one from eight to twenty feet wide and of profound depth the most beautiful vivid emerald green color seemed to fill the abyss the reflection of the bright sunlight from side to side of its pure ice walls the upper side or wall of the crevasse was some twelve feet above the lower and in places overhung it as though the snowfield on the lower side had bodily settled down a dozen feet throwing a bite of the rope around a projecting pinnacle on the upper side we climbed up hand over hand and thus effected a crossing we were now obliged to travel slowly with frequent rests in that rare atmosphere after taking seventy or eighty steps our breath would be gone our muscles grew tired and strained and we experienced all the sensations of extreme fatigue an instant's pause however was sufficient to recover strength and breath and we would start again the wind which we had not felt while climbing the steepest part of the mountain now again blew furiously and we began to suffer from the cold our course directed still diagonally towards the left 
thus shunning the severe exertion of climbing straight up the dome although at an ordinary altitude the slope would be deemed easy brought us first to the southwest peak this is a long exceedingly sharp narrow ridge springing out from the main dome for a mile into mid-air the ridge affords not over ten or twelve feet of foothold on top and the sides descend almost vertically on the right side the snow lay firm and smooth for a few feet on top and then descended in a steep unbroken sheet like an immense flowing curtain into the tremendous basin which lies on the west side of the mountain between the southern and northern peaks and which is enclosed by them as by two mighty arms the snow on the top and left crest of the ridge was broken into high sharp pinnacles with cracks and fissures extending to the rocks a few feet below the left side too steep for the snow to lie on was vertical bare rock the wind blew so violently that we were obliged to brace ourselves with our alpine staffs and use great caution to guard against being swept off the ridge we threw ourselves behind the pinnacles or into the cracks every seventy steps for rest and shelter against the bitter piercing wind hastening forward in this way along the dizzy narrow and precarious ridge we reached at length the highest point sheltered behind a pinnacle of ice we rested a moment took out our flags and fastened them upon the alpine staffs and then standing erect in the furious blast waved them in triumph with three cheers we stood a moment upon that narrow summit bracing ourselves against the tempest to view the prospect the whole country was shrouded in a dense sea of smoke above which the mountain towered two thousand feet in the clear cloudless ether a solitary peak far to the southeast doubtless mount adams and one or two others in the extreme northern horizon alone protruded above the pall on every side of the mountain were deep gorges falling off precipitously thousands of feet and from these the thunderous sound of avalanches would rise occasionally far below were the wide extended glaciers already described the wind was now a perfect tempest and bitterly cold smoke and mist were flying about the base of the mountain half hiding half revealing its gigantic outlines and the whole scene was sublimely awful End of part two